Hello, I'm Mary Nightingale. Welcome to the latest podcast from Piper, the specialist investor in consumer branded businesses. Piper's spent more than 30 years funding and helping more than 30 founders and entrepreneurs to grow successful brands. It believes there are three critical stages of growth in a business which it calls 71770. Now, these numbers relate to key points in a brand's growth cycle where there has to be a step change. It could be growth in turnover, £7 million, £17 million, and £70 million, or indeed by building the number of sites from 7 through 17 to 70. In these podcasts, I'm going to be talking to some of the UK's most dynamic founders and entrepreneurs about the secrets of their success and how to dodge the pitfalls along that 7-17-70 journey. And today I am with Nicola Elliott, co-founder, along with business partner Oliver Manel, of the beauty and well-being brand Neom Organics. Welcome, Nicola. Thank you for having me. Now, in terms of the seven seventeen seventy journey that, that that we're talking about here, as I understand it, you're you're en route, aren't you? Somewhere between seven and seventeen. We are, right? yes, and definitely feeling the the change in pace. I think Piper are right about that. It feels like we are ramping things up in a phenomenal way. Talk about yourself and your early career. I mean, did you always dream of being an entrepreneur? Well, I actually have had two careers, and this is the second. Um, so I was a, a magazine journalist for uh, the first 10 years, and, and actually I always that's what I always dreamt of. I was kind of good at two things at school, writing and art, and, and that was kind of it. Um, but I was really quite good at those two things. So from an early age, I always thought, you know, I would be a journalist. And magazines were kind of the, were the, the, the part of journalism that really sort of held, you know, the the most, you know, this glossy kind of uh, allure for me. And so and so that's what I always wanted to do. And actually, as I went through university, I did nine placements at magazines because it was so tough to get into. Um, but that stood me in good stead. And as soon as I finished, I, I managed to get a job with the contacts that I had. And I worked my way up. And then I worked at Heat and I worked at, you know, Marie Claire and I worked at Glamour and, and I worked my way up there. So so that was my first career. Um, and, and there was always an itching of something. My dad was an entrepreneur. I mean, he sold cars in Yorkshire. It was hardly you know what I do it's a world away from it but there was a sense of you can do this and a sense of ownership I think of, of about being an entrepreneur that that always appealed to me and Oliver had the same thing with his dad his dad and, and my dad are best friends um, and and then sort of this this world that I had really cracked but it got pretty far you know as associate editor so it's kind of number two I'd, I'd got of Glamour, Mag- of Glamour magazine mm. and that was the top selling magazine at the time so I'd kind of cracked that code a bit and I thought actually these skills that that, that I've learned um, from the magazine how could I take those and make those my own and then you, you know you overlay the passions that you have at that time and and for me that was well-being and and that became sort of the cocktail of events that led me to starting Neon. So what the picture I'm getting of is someone, whatever you were doing, you did it with commitment. You're kind of driven person. Would oh, that totally. be accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely the way that I was brought up. You do it properly or you don't do it at all. And and it stands you in good stead, I think. Yeah. You know? Tell me about your dad a little bit. I mean, he sounds quite an interesting character. Yeah, he's kind of amazing. Um, 
I suppose I am a kind of a daddy's girl. He came from nothing, you know. He didn't have the money to go to university, left school at 15, um, you know, bought and sold cars. My childhood was going around car auctions, you know, and, and, and buying a car and taking it home and and then sitting in the garage whilst it was painted up and you'd get a kick out at the end of the day if you'd been good, you know. So that's sort of how I was brought up. And, um, you know, and he's a hard worker and a bright guy, a smart guy, but not overly educated. As I said, didn't do A-levels, didn't go to university. And so I think there was a real emphasis on work ethic because that's how you could kind of make up that deficit. Of course, that was the core of how I was brought up and Oliver the same. Did your did your parents encourage you to go to university? Was there ever a question of you not doing that and just getting straight um, into the workplace? It, it would have been fine had I have come home and said actually, I'm going to set up a, a, a clothes shop. You know, that's that's actually what he wanted for me. As as I was a child, Was he always had this dream that me and my sister would open a women's clothes shop. You know, it was, that was suitably ambitious in Leeds. That's where I'm from. Um, I think that was that was something that, you know, he really believed in, was working for yourself and, and, and therefore however big you wanted a business to be or if you wanted to work three days, the, uh, you wanted to, you know, the people that you wanted to work with, the culture you wanted to create, having that sense of of kind of autonomy about about your own life and that control over it. He always, you know, was singing the virtues of that lifestyle. So uh, when I started Neon, the day before I, I decided to make the, the, the switch, I actually got offered the job as an editor-in-chief for uh, a magazine, which actually is, as they all have since folded, um, but for Northern and Shell. And I remember it was twice the salary that I was on. They actually showed me around the offices and I rang him from the taxi, the first person I rang and said, oh, they offered me this job and you know, guess what the salary is, la la la. And there was just silence. And I thought, are you not happy about that? And he said, I just think if you take this job, that's your path then. You're working for somebody else, doing this forever. And there's a big decision to make. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't take the job and I ended up starting Neom. And Oliver hadn't left by then, so it was literally me in a broom cupboard. And a real leap of faith to go yeah, with this idea yeah. you've had. So yeah. talk to me about the, the, the birth of that Neom idea. Where did that actually come from? How did it get formed? I think there was certainly a period of a year or two where there was a fusing of all these things that happened in, in my life. So um, I was working as a journalist and I was really crazy busy and, and because I did entertainment and covers I would spend an awful lot of time you know uh, um, with New York and LA so my British day would sort of finish at three and then we'd start with New York and then after that we'd start with LA and and that was fine because I was 26 and I didn't have to get home to any children but you know I was I was pretty shattered and and it it, it got me to a point where I started with awful anxiety and I remember looking around and thinking oh my god this is kind of a bit of a a, a modern malaise and and, and it kick-started for me my own well-being journey. I started, I, I went and trained as a nutritionist and as an aromatherapist. While working at the magazines? Yes, well, yes. how did you fit that in, for goodness sake? Um, well, I mean, I think I was, oh, God, you know, I was I was younger. I, I had a bit more time, um, you know, an odd hour here. I had passion for it and interest. I think you always make time for the things you're interested in, don't you? Yeah, I guess so. Um, and I was genuinely interested in that. And and it and it, it you know made me feel better. It was kind of a bit of a light bulb stage, not moment, um, where I started realizing actually the oils that I blended could have a great effect on 
on my mood and my stress levels and the food I ate and the way I exercised. So there was a there was a period towards the end of of the glamour days, uh, glamour magazine, um, that is, <laughs> <laughs> where where I I kind of really got into to well being. Um, during that time, Oliver, my business partner, who is three years younger than me, was coming down and doing work experience and, and sleeping on my couch and we became quite friendly. And I used to take him to celebrity parties for the magazine and he'd go, oh, my God, your life's amazing. It's so fun and interesting and glamorous. And I was like, yeah, but I'm living off the canapes because I've got no money. <laughs> and meanwhile, he was, you know, had this great salary in private equity. Yeah working for a Japanese bank and um and, and and so there was something there percolating at the same time my sister was working for friends of the earth she was an absolute staunch greenie but what she said to me about natural products and natural ingredients and you know the amount of chemicals that we were using on our body and using you know ab- absorbing through the skin which was the largest organ that was also percolating she was absolutely kind of that 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 beacon of 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 living a natural and organic l- lifestyle for me um, and so, and then, of course, you know, I got to this point, as I said before, where it was sort of that T junction for me in my in my own career, and there was this sort of entrepreneurial, you know, thing in me, uh, you know, all, all the way through. So, so I think those those sort of four strands um, uh, came to a head at, at one at one time, and Oliver and I had the idea to to set up Neom, and it was you know it was always about um, a well being brand. We always had this sort of vision we could kind of inspire people to lead natural healthy lives that was always a sort of our thought and our vision and our mantra and we would do it through my oils and at that point I was I was blending um blending oils for different purposes all the time my husband is a sports teacher and I used to blend oils for him when he came back from playing football he'd been out playing football all day and he'd come back and oh, I can't move and I'd be like, well, it's Saturday night. You have to move. You have to get up. We have to go partying or whatever. Something very important. <laughs> You've got a nightmare to, move to be married for. to. <laughs> exactly. But he was my boyfriend then. And, um, and, and I developed this little tincture um, for him, which we still sell now. And uh, he was like, oh, my God, this stuff's amazing. It's magic. You know, I just feel so my legs feel totally new and I, I feel kind of, you know, ready to go. And I remember at one point sort of, you know, creating 31 of these little bottles that he took off to the what, boys. To inhale or rub on your skin? To, to put in the bath. It was We, we did it okay. through a bath oil. So I was kind of, you know, having this sort of semi-success, if you like, in, 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 in developing these uh, these oils that, that really worked. And so... Were you selling them at this point? No, we weren't selling them. And and so I said to Oliver, I think you know I could make something out of these. I think they're pretty good. And 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 I you know I know a little bit about the zeitgeist because I'm working in magazines and we can make these a whole lot cooler and more effective and beautiful and smell amazing than anything that's out there. You know, in a in a health food shop that smells a bit funny and you've got to blend it yourself and it means going through the doors of quite a crusty store. We can we can really turn this round and make it easy for people to use and smell beautiful and, and still be 100% natural and, and tell the story about natural products because people don't know it. You know, they, they're just using synthetic, you know, products and candles and, and whatever else. So that was sort of the start of the light bulb year. But did it feel like a light bulb no. moment? I mean, talking about it now, of course, it, it makes perfect sense. It seems entirely logical and inevitable that it would be a success. But how much did it feel like that at the time? There's sort of two answers to that question. I think in, in one regard, we always were 
confident that it would get to where it, it is today because we started off with a very steely determination of where we were going to go. We didn't start and say, oh, let's see if this works. We had good careers that, that we left. So, so there was a real confidence there from day one and there was a clear vision as to where we were going to go with the brand. Um, and I think you have to have that vision if you want to get there, that is. I mean, some people you know, start a business from a, from a kitchen table and see where it takes them. We, we didn't want that. We wanted that clarity of where we were going uh, early on. So that's one answer. But then on the other side of things, you know, we were fortunate enough that we didn't have children. We were, you know, in our 20s. And I suppose that we we had a skill set to a degree. I, I knew that I could have rung any of my old editors back and, and got a job had it have gone wrong. It was quite unusual to embark with a partner right from the beginning, isn't it? Why why did you feel that that was so important? The need to have him. Well, yes. he, he can add up, you see, and I, <laughs> and I couldn't. Um, you know, I, I knew what my weaknesses were. What you really need is somebody who who absolutely brings something to the table that either you can't do or, or or maybe not can't, but can do that better than you. So you complement each other. And we complement each other, exactly. So I, I, I mean, he was very, he, he knew about building businesses and he, he, you know, is no joke, he was good at maths. And, uh, you know, he, he was... He was proficient in that area of the business, which was clearly, you know, absolutely fundamental. And and I think I knew more of the sort of the creative side of the business and and the products and the marketing. And 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 I'd spent a long time sort of touching and feeling those those women and knowing what kind of turned them on, whether it was through a product or a cover line or a celebrity or something. So that's sort of what I brought to the table, and he brought something different. And and so I felt we would be a lot stronger the two of us together. And you know. I can't. We can't let anything fester. You know, even with a husband, you, you can let something fester for a day or two, because sometimes you just have to, or you do. You're in a bit of a mood of the mood. You can't with a business partner. You know, have to pull him into a into a room and tell him, you know, what he's done to annoy you, or vice versa, and get over it because you can't afford to have a day of you know any sort of bad feeling between you. You have to work together every every hour. What do you think? So, what do you think annoys him about you? Oh. He would say that I always think I'm right, but then I would say the same thing about him. <laughs> because it's hard being an entrepreneur because so much of it has to come from the gut, you know? You can sit around and theorise all day long and say, well, this brand did it this way and this brand did it that way and there's evidence to show that, you know, this has worked. But ultimately, no-one has the blueprint for your brand in your category, in your market, in your territory right now in this year. That doesn't exist. So you can take all of the evidence and everyone's opinions, but ultimately, there's a big dollop of gut feeling in it and so that's difficult because there's no right is there it's just about who can persuade the other that <laughs> their argument is right <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's so, talk about the product then what, yeah. what was the first product that you actually launched with well we launched with candles and we launched with candles because we always as i said before we always wanted this this, this well-being brand which would transcend across sleep and helping you de-stress and you know lifting your energy and boosting your mood and we would do that through you know various different products bath oils and uh, lotions and 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 candles and diffusers and the whole the whole nine yards but you know the reality is that we just couldn't afford to to buy all that product to invest in that stock and and we managed to to scrabble 15,000 pounds together between the two of us um Oliver had won a game show totally randomly I mean bizarre he won had. a game show he won a game show something that ITV put on with Vernon Kay he'll kill me for saying <laughs> this anyway he won the game show and he won £8,000 or something so brilliant that was his money and 
I had some, I had a car that I'd been bought for my 21st, which was, you know, by now seven years old. So that kind of, you know, depreciated quite a bit. But anyway, that could be sold. And between these two random pots, we would, you know, scrabble together £15,000 and, and we had to buy what we had to buy with that. And actually, we decided that we would start with candles because... At that point, 98% of the candle market was being made with paraffin wax and synthetic fragrances, and actually it's barely changed since. Um, And so I really felt that we could... That needed changing. All the products that we could offer, those candles that were burning in everyone's home made of paraffin wax with the synthetic fragrance and the black soot and, and the chemicals, you know, being released... That was a story that we could we could take, and 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 it was quite tightly packed up in that product, if that makes sense. It's interesting. You, uh, the the journalist in you is coming out here because it's a story. Totally. We're talking about a story yeah. that you yeah, could pursue. Yeah. And listen, consumers are they're not fickle, so you can't make something up or, or or spin it or or do like you might do in a magazine. Three people are wearing purple; it's a trend. You can't do that. There's got to be an awful lot more depth to that story for sure. But there's definitely ways in which you can present it. Um, and and I, I felt like we could really present the story around the candle in the strongest way compared to the other products that were out there. So so we, we put all our money on on, on that. Um, and in actually, stock, basically. In stock, exactly. And, and we just had enough. I had a two-bedroom flat. My flat, we asked my flatmate to leave and we could make the second bedroom into a stock room. So the stock all arrived... Oliver and my husband, you know, unloaded it all, put it in the second bedroom, which was, you know, eight by eight. How many London candles flat. was this, probably? Oh, I, I've, I've not, 15,000 pounds worth. So, you know, it cost price. It's a, well, I'll tell you what, it was enough to, if the room was eight by eight, there was a small gap in the middle where someone could go and pick the stock out. And the someone was only me because Oliver and my husband, Dave, were too big to fit through the gap. So. <laughs> That's how many candles I can quantify and, and, we had And with how many fragrances? And we had them in four fragrances. And the, ro- and the roadside smelt amazing. No, <laughs> absolutely amazing. You're listening to the Piper Podcast with me, Mary Nightingale. I'm talking to Nicola Elliott, co-founder of the beauty and well-being brand Neom Organics. Talk to me about the, the, the path it took then from going from those very small beginnings, uh-huh. albeit very confident, and you knew where you were going and so on. What about the route from there to actually being a successful business to, to a £7 million business? You know, if we're going in terms of yes. the 7, 17, 70, when did you know you were on to a success? Oh, I don't know if you even know that now. You I mean, really don't? No, I think you... Obviously, there's confidence and that builds and, and it ebbs and flows... Um, through the journey um but i think you know there's something you know there's a restlessness something that spurns you on every day you know and and those moments of of oh my god is somebody else coming into the marketplace or doing it better or are we moving fast enough or these next three products that we've got coming out are they good enough do they need changing is that marketing campaign really right and i'll 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 rip it up and we'll 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 start again or we'll you know change the direction or whatever but in answer to your question i think you generally start a brand and there's kind of a flurry because it's new and it's exciting and you've you've got your own energy to put into it and it's, it's your new baby and then a bit like the second album you know, in, in the music world, it, 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 it's harder to do the second album, the second kind of wave of product launch, because it has to be as good, and it has, but it also has to build on, on the story that you've got. Take me back to that, you know, you've got your back room packed full of candles yeah. and you can just slide your way through to reach your stock. Yeah. 
talk about the journey from there to actually having a warehouse, to having lots of outlets and so on. How did you become a tiny business to not so tiny business? Well, I mean, it really is step by step. I think what's difficult is to really break it down into even seven, if you're talking about, you know, mm. seven million, mm. into seven chunks, because it honestly is far many more chunks than that. And and I think it is brick by brick by brick. Or, or that's the way we've built it. But early days, we had Selfridges on board. That was probably quite um, a, a mark in the calendar because once we had a decent stockist on board, that obviously sort of was a, a green light, I suppose, for others. And not just big stockists, but, you know, whether it would be a local store or a, a spa or whatever. So I also prioritised in those early, you know, those early years, the PR. Um, I understood how to run PR because of my magazine days. So I knew that I could get a decent PR and I knew the importance of good PR. So it was probably a funny thing for a business to really prioritise um, um, in those early years. But but we did do that. And that brought with it, you know, some really nice stories that we then helped leverage some of the pitches that we were making. So um, Kylie Minogue, for example ordered a whole load of our candles uh, to use backstage on her tour. And it was just after she'd recovered um, from breast cancer. So she was very into natural products. And and so that was fantastic. And we, we got some press on that. And, and, and that was that was early days. And then we, we went to the trade shows. We did the trade shows. Those were in the days where we just wanted to sh- show shops and, and spas what we had. Um, and that, that was important for us. And we stopped doing that at about sort of four, four million because... Um, because more people wanted to to open with us, and we just didn't have the space. You know, we we have to be quite exclusive about you know if you're in Chiswick, you can only have one stockist, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so there became too many no's for it, for it to justify being worthwhile. But in the early days, that was that was quite helpful, and I think definitely helped get us a decent bed of um, of customers. And then at about the sort of four or five million stage, we managed to get John Lewis. Um, and there's a sequencing to this for sure, because, you know, the likes of John Lewis probably aren't going to want to do business with somebody who hasn't shown that they can operate at that level. Can you provide them with that much stock? Do you have the systems and the people, the processes in place to make that function work? And and so that 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 was great that kind of really propelled the brand nationwide. And and then, then came the store. Um, I think our first store in Wimbledon probably came, you know, when we were at the six million mark. Um, and, and how much of a leap of faith is it to, to, to invest in a store? Because it's big money, isn't it? It's a huge leap of faith to put you know all your money on a on a retail store it sounds kind of nuts and in some ways it, it, it is you know you can do some amazing things online but i think to bring a consumer brand to life um a store plays a really important role but it has a halo effect on many other areas of the business you know we have many customers who'll say um I've, I've, I keep meaning to get down to the lead store, um, but I haven't. Um, but I've seen the pictures on Facebook and um, I've heard about the events on Instagram and my friend Jane's gone down. And the halo effect of that means that actually she buys online. So so it's, it's sort of sewing all of those retail points together. At some point, you decided to bring in outside investment. So that yes. is the next stage, if you like. And yes. talk to me about how that came about and why you uh-huh. felt you needed that and what that brought. I think we're a sort of unique 
case study uh, where this is concerned because predominantly I think you would probably find that a brand goes for funding when they need funding, right? That kind of makes sense. And, and, and we didn't need the funding, really. We were profitable. We'd worked hard to keep it entirely for ourselves. So you'd sort of grown organically? We'd you, grown organically. You'd had borrowings yeah. along the way? Well, n- no, we had. Um, we sold a, a very, very small stake um, in sort of year three, four. Um, but that was because the, the guy that we sold it to, we really felt he could help bring value with his expertise. So it wasn't even really for cash at that stage. But I think where we came to personally was a bit of a crossroads where we'd been approached an awful lot by trade and interested parties to, to buy the brand. And, and we thought, I oh, know, we're sort of you know, 37, 38. We're going to do something. We don't, we're not going to lie on a beach. It doesn't feel like the right time to retire. The brand has absolutely got traction now and it's becoming, you know, the, the phone is ringing for us. And we really believe that we could take it to the next stage. And that would be even more exciting. So so we decided that we wanted to stick with it. But if we were going to do that, we were really going to sort of put our foot to the gas and, and, and push on. Um, and by now, you know, well-being is becoming a big trend. So we really wanted to sort of ride that that wave. Um, then then we would get some funding. So it wasn't a need. It was a it was a want. And um, I think that's really why why we chose Piper, because because we like them and, and, and we felt that they could really add value. We met with a couple of people, and Ollie, uh, an awful lot more than me. That's that's his world. They just felt really, I don't know, uh, too financy, too corporate, too corporate, too in the numbers. No mention of the brand. Didn't feel like when we had the meeting, I said to Ollie, "They may be of use to you, but it doesn't feel like they're of any use to me on on my side of the business on on the brand." Um, and you know, and, and and I don't want that kind of pressure on my head when we don't need it you know let's be quite clear about why we need this we want somebody to help us and we want to enjoy this part of the journey as well we want to absolutely know that we can treble the business we want to do it with people that we feel will add that value but we also want to enjoy it and we're in a position where we're lucky enough to be able to say those are three non-negotiable points and so Piper were the really were the only the only people that that fell into that category is it different having an investor involved to this extent? What, yes. what what has been unexpected? What is as you expected? Describe the difference to your business of having someone else on board. Um, it's a step change, you know, and a fundamental step change. And and that was part of the reason why we wanted it as well. I think you know, doing twelve years of something, even though it's of course evolved, I I you feel the need to 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 do something new every once in a while and and so and so that was that was really important that we kind of entered into a new phase of our lives personally and it's certainly done that but as positive as that is it obviously is challenging in many ways as well i'm used to knowing everything you know i have the answers by by and large and then suddenly you know you're working there's another six people in the room who know more than you have done it more times than you and and you go from being the teacher to being taught that that's quite a, a step change but you've got to temper that i suppose with really remaining true to your own to your own gut about the brand like i said nobody has the answer that the, there there isn't a um a, a handbook so you're you're speaking to some incredibly smart people who've who've trodden that path before and you have to take all of that advice and then you also have to sort of overlay it with what you with what you think it's great fun working with really smart people 
I, I really, really enjoy that. Um, because, you know, when you start a business in those early days, you can't afford to employ really great people who have, you know, come with a a huge amount of um, education on a subject. So it's been a long time coming since we can, you know, with the Piper money and with the Piper people, build a team of brilliant um, individuals. And, you know, when you look around the boardroom, and we're, we're in a process now still recruiting a couple of those really important senior people, but... You look around the boardroom and you think, well, actually, you know, we've managed to bring on an amazing marketing director, an amazing finance director, and we've got three brilliant people from Piper alongside Oliver and I. That's that's a fun place to be, and it's a, it's a nice place to be. So here you are. You are you're sort of somewhere now around the 17-ish. Next step, where? Are you ambitious still but that, no why am i even asking you that you are totally driven still where do you see this going you go you go to 70 and beyond or you're going international what's the aim at this point well i think there's an awful lot more we can do in the uk international actually for, for the next sort of uh, 5 years of neom is is really upside to our core plan um i think it would be a shame if we if we don't really sort of accelerate that because i think there's some obvious international work that we should do but there's an awful lot more that we can do in the in the UK um i think you know the first up to the seven point is about getting your brand kind of consolidated, your story. Um, it's not to say that it doesn't evolve after this, but fundamentally your products, establishing you in, in the market, you know, creating that bedrock. Um, but actually to get from the 17 to the 70 is really about just turning the dial up on, on the right amount of people understanding and knowing that message. The stores need to, you know, evolve in terms of, look, you learn things, you realise that, you know, if they look a bit more this way, then and people understand the story, etc. You need to accelerate product development, and we've got some amazing ideas for product development over the next few years. But I think, you know, to get ourselves from where we are now over the next five years, really there's an awful lot that we can do in our home market. Have you ever had any doubts? I'm a woman, aren't I? I have moments of being totally certain or I'm all over the place. It's not doubt about the big story and it's not doubt about the big brand and it's not doubt about, you know, the ultimate direction. But that's unfortunately, I think, built into into some of us and, and I, you know, I do have that. Absolutely, I do. And I think every time the business evolves and, and it moves on from, from where it is, because the graph doesn't doesn't go in a nice line, unfortunately. It sort of, you know, is, is, is a zigzag up. Every time you take that step up, um, I think I have a moment where I think, oh, God, can I do this? Can we do this? Is that right? You know, I do have those moments. And I can't the more successful lie. you get, the, the, the further down it is. And, you, you know, it's it's a pretty dizzying view down there, isn't it? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and, and also, you know, the more opinions you, you have on something and, and, and that's, you know, that that makes you question yourself i find sometimes i'm quite jealous of oliver i think you know there's not that many questions that you ask of the accounts or the finances you know the black and white that's yeah if we do that that's that graph if we do that that's that graph if we do that that's that graph whereas i might bring out uh, you know uh, an idea for a gift box and everyone's opinion including next door's cat gets an airing because <laughs> we're all consumers aren't we you know, it's too pink, it's not pink enough, it's not bright enough, it should be £30, no, it should be 32 You know, everyone's got an opinion and, 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 and the opinions get louder and, and so, you know, that becomes challenging for me. 
Have you made any mistakes? Have there been any products that you've launched that have been an absolute disaster and you've had to drop them? Hundreds of mistakes. I mean, I'd say nine mistakes until you get to the the holy grail for, for every... For everything you do, every person, every system, every, you know, so many mistakes. Sometimes it's about, you know, doing things eight different ways till you realise, ah, the ninth way is the way, you know. But I only knew that because now I know that those eight ways don't really hit the mark. So they're not mistakes as much as just not finding the holy grail. Do you think that's the essence of being an entrepreneur is is that total refusal to take no for an answer to accept the small failures yes i I think that's a massive part of it so many people i speak to who might have started something and then it, it, it dwindled or it finished or whatever and always when they tell me the reason i think that would just be a daily problem for me wouldn't be a reason to stop. I, I want to take you back now to pre-2005. And, okay. and you were telling me that you had this crazy lifestyle as a journalist yeah. and there was no rest and how are you going to, you know, how are you going to live your life at this sort of pace? And here you are, 15 years later. Living a very zen lifestyle. <laughs> not, <laughs> not really practising what you preach, some might say. Well-being, you've got a couple of kids in the mix yeah. now. You've got this incredibly successful business, which you're driving on with a total commitment, um, telling us all to relax. <laughs> How relaxed are you, Nicola Elliott? How many candles does oh, it take God. to calm you down? That's a good question. I... I'm a real woman and I think that's kind of the beauty of Neom in many ways is that, you know, I realise that it's just not possible for the majority of us to, you know, book into a weekend spa to get that relaxation, to, you know, wake up at six in the morning and, and have a green smoothie on the side of a mountain whilst doing yoga. So I think that's kind of... Uh, my understanding that that version of well-being, lovely as it is, is just not um, doable. But our message at Neom is that you know the small steps can make the big difference. And actually, for the average woman, it's not a, a silver bullet. But you know, making a, a bath, you know, taking that time to lock the door against the children, and and making those sort of fifteen minutes in in the bathroom, doing a little bit of mindfulness breathing. I think those small moments are are very, very, very valid in our everyday lives mm. and more realistic. Is um, there is there anyone you look at and you think they got it right? Is it has there been a, a figure that has inspired you all the way through? I suppose as a woman I'm really inspired when women manage to get the balance right. When women get themselves into a place in their careers where they're doing something that they that they really love, have the confidence to build on that and make that into a brand. There's a passion and a, and a truth to that rather than doing something that, you know, is is a job first. So so I'm always inspired by those people. I think that's fantastic. You 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 manage to kind of keep your passion at the heart of your working life. What's the worst piece of advice that you've ever been given? Because I bet people have tried to worst, advise you. The worst they? advice is always when people are adamant that it's good advice. It's great if they say, I'm giving you this advice based on this, take it or leave it. You quite often get people saying, that's the best place to open a store or that's the thing you should do with a marketing campaign. And and actually, people should give their advice, I think, with quotation marks around it. You know, you shouldn't... It shouldn't be so forceful because 
not every piece of advice is applicable from one business to the other to the other. And it's also useful when um, they say, listen, I'm giving you this advice because I've actually done this before. And in my experience, these were the areas to um, avoid. Um, and, and, and it's kind of given some context, whereas... Yeah, when people give you advice and, and make it sound like they absolutely know that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, um, but they haven't really got the backup for that. It's just their gut feeling. That's really not helpful. You have a big success in your hands now. How does it feel? How do you judge success? An unfortunate quality of an entrepreneur is you're always looking ahead. And so you probably spend too much time in the future and less in the moment. You've constantly got your eye on the next prize. But, you know, we do have to temper that with with enjoying it because, as I said to you before, you know, the, the reason why we took this on to the next journey with Piper was was about being able to enjoy that journey as well. So it's that's a constant challenge. Whether by luck or judgment, you've really hit the zeitgeist with this because this is a this is a topic that everybody talks about now. Twenty years ago, not so much, but now, absolutely, it's 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 the quality of life is something that that obsesses people, doesn't it? Well, it it is the zeitgeist now, but it wasn't twelve years ago. This isn't about a trend. It was about how our lives were going to have to shift. We just hadn't become educated. That's where we were ahead of ourselves. But in those early days. If you could have sold a bath oil that smelt of, you know, strawberry sundae or a, a candle that smelt of chocolate buns and put it in a pretty box, that would have been so much easier for us 12 years ago. Whereas we were telling this story and having to educate people and, and it made things in those early days much harder for us. Is there a legacy? Do you think about legacy? Um, yes, I mean, not personally, but I think, the, you know, the brand has a heart and a soul and a meaning and and I think that's inspiring people to lead naturally healthy lives and and to do that through natural products we were a piece in that jigsaw puzzle now of well-being you know we are definitely in the categories you know that we are seen as the number one well-being brand and our passion is very much about getting people to understand that those small steps, as I said to you before, you know, those small steps can ladder up to, to the big things. And I think if we can turn people on to the importance of well-being in that small way, so it's inspiring enough, but it doesn't feel daunting, that has to be powered where beauty and well-being products are concerned through natural plant oils. You cannot do that through synthetic products that story is our like, education really is our is our legacy i don't think there's a brand that puts that much energy effort love into um into a topic because it's a big topic we're talking about you know it feels that that's the right thing to do aside from a nice thing to do the right responsible thing to do nicola elliott thank you very much indeed fascinating story thank you for having me you've been listening to the piper podcast hosted by me mary nightingale Next time, I'll be talking to Aj Jaiwikrema, founder of two restaurant brands, Latin American chain Las Iguanas, and more recently, the Caribbean restaurant chain Turtle Bay, which he's grown to just shy of a £70 million turnover in less than five years. Join me then. <laughs>